0: Today we are talking about families that put the fun and dysfunctional. So, if this is you, you're in luck. Glad you're here with us to talk about families and uh, how families are, you know, can be picture perfect when the camera is on and you're taking that family photo. It can look pretty good on Facebook or Instagram for that moment the picture is taken But then there's that other time when the camera is off where families are a little less perfect and sometimes a little more dysfunctional, including in, frankly, some ways that are not much fun. And so we're going to play with this idea here of imperfect families here today. So if you have an imperfect family, you've come to the right place. Uh, I want to start by sharing some... uh, Well, first of all, uh, here's, here's the main point that I'm getting at with that, is that families can be a place of hurt, judgment, and fear... But God wants them to be places of safety, compassion, forgiveness, and joy. This is the idea that we'll come back to as we explore how dysfunctional so many of our families can be, how very real life they can be. And so uh, these statistics I want to share kind of get there. And so you can see how many of these boxes your families check. Uh, These are not real fun. But the reality is one in ten kids have an alcoholic parent. Uh, One in five have a family member with a diagnosed mental health uh, diagnosis. One in seven experience abuse, emotional or physical. Eight in ten moms report feeling burned out. Seven in ten dads report feeling financially stressed. One in two have divorced parents. And one in two families have a family member who has been incarcerated. That's a lot. I'm guessing that everyone here probably could fit into some of those categories. If not, then you're the exception. The reality is most of us have some of these uh, characteristics in our life that are not real fun. Family life together is messy. And yet there's blessings in family too. And God wants us to find that compassion, that forgiveness, and even that joy in the life of our families together. And so uh, we get to talk to you about a pretty fun family here today, and that is Jacob and Esau, a couple of brothers. Uh, In the Bible, the interesting thing about the Bible is it's full of stories of dysfunctional families. So if you're looking for stories of dysfunctional families, the Bible is the perfect place to look because for whatever reason, those biblical writers, those people who wrote the Bible, when they did it, they didn't whitewash the stories. They didn't take out all the warts and imperfections of these families, but instead They kind of just left it all in. And this story of Jacob and Esau uh, shows that clearly. I'm curious, how many of you know a family with twins? Or maybe you are a twin. You know some twins? So see if this is true for you. I have experienced that every set of twins I know, they know which one is older. Is this true? Uh, you ask them if they're there. You're like, oh, so which one of you is the oldest? The oldest one chimes in right away and said, "Me. I was born 30 seconds earlier, or uh, it was eight minutes and 47 seconds uh, that I came first. You know, they know not only which one was born first, but exactly the amount of time that they beat their younger sibling by. That's the kind of rivalry that's explained in this book of Genesis with Jacob and Esau, these brothers who fight in not just some funny ways, but some not-so-funny ways. And so uh, Jacob and Esau, the story starts while they are in their mother's womb in poor Rebecca. It says this in the Bible. It says, The children struggled together within Rebecca, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? Uh, moms who've had fighting kids before. Uh, you can maybe relate here, poor Rebecca, before the kids are even born, she's saying, you kids quit fighting already. <laughs> she can't even handle it, it's not even worth living. I, I feel like I hear my wife yelling at our kids, you guys stop fighting for crying out loud. Well, unfortunately, as Jacob and Esau are born, it doesn't get better. Uh, they fight a little more. Uh, here's the story of their birth birth. We heard it just a little bit ago, when her time came to give birth, when that time was at hand, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle, so they named him Esau. The word Esau, that name means hairy mantle. It's a great name, right? So uh, firstborn son is hairy guy, uh, and then afterwards, uh, Afterwards, his brother came out, and he was gripping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Guess what Jacob means? Heel grabber. <laughs> Great names, you know. i got to say, Isaac and Rebecca were really creative in their names. Uh, but so Jacob was born grabbing Esau's heel, trying to pull himself out first so that he could be the firstborn, that he could get the birthright, the blessings, all those things of firstbornness. But he doesn't get it because Esau was born first. And so then when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. So a classic indoor-outdoor kid scenario. You've got Jacob sitting inside playing video games, never seeing the light of day, and you have Esau out hunting every chance he can get, building stuff, camping, all that. He's the rugged outdoors man. And so when those families, the whole family is together, you know, mom and dad had their favorites. Uh, Mom loved Jacob and they did paintings together. They cooked together. They did all of these things together. And Esau and Isaac, they love each other. They go hunting. They do all the manly stuff together. And so they grow up into kid, from kids that are very different into adults that are very different. And if you remember from the very moment they were born, Jacob is still trying to get that birthright and blessing, and he will get it even if he has to buy it or steal it. And so here's where the story continues, where once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff for I am famished. Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. And Esau, who is apparently so hungry (laughs) that he's willing to give up anything, says, I am about to die of what use is a birthright to me. So Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to him. And he sold his birthright to Jacob. It kind of seems that Esau may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, the brightest Crayola in the box. Uh, The elevator might not be going to the top floor. I don't know. I'm just saying it seems that he might be a fry short of a happy meal. I could go all day here. But you get like there's a weird dynamic going on where Jacob is going to do anything at any moment to take advantage of his brother and steal these birthrights and blessings. And finally, he gets that opportunity. Poor Esau, starving, says, give me some of that red stuff. And Jacob says, oh, you mean my three bean venison chili that I have prepared here? Happily, in exchange for your birthright. So Jacob gets the birthright, and then what he sets his eyes on next is the blessing. In the ancient biblical culture, the father would bestow a blessing on their children, and all of the children could get a blessing, but there were levels of blessing, and the greatest blessing would go to the firstborn. The greatest blessing would go to the favorite children. And so that's Esau on both counts. He's firstborn, and he's the favorite. And so if Jacob is going to get that blessing, he's going to have to steal it. And so that's what he does. One day when Esau is out hunting, he's out of, the, out of the country, he's far, far away, Jacob puts on a costume. He dresses himself like Esau, which means covering himself with animal fur, and he rubs stinky stuff on him so he smells bad like his you know, outdoorsy, rugged brother. And he goes to his blind father and tricks him into giving Jacob the blessing. Here's how it went. It says, then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his garments, which is a bad smell, but uh, good to him, and blessed him. And he said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And so Isaac gives Jacob the blessing that was supposed to be for Esau. Fast forward a few hours, Esau comes home and guess how he feels about this arrangement? Not good, he's mad, he's so furious that Jacob has to flee for fear of his life and goes running off into hiding. He takes his birthright that he has now taken, he takes that blessing and he goes off into living his own separate life. Uh, now the birthright, it wasn't just like, oh, you're number one firstborn now. The birthright was also mean that meant that he got a double share of the inheritance. So he takes his double share of the inheritance. He takes his blessing of his father that he stole and he goes off to live his own life. And so you have two brothers who don't talk to each other for years, and years turn into a decade. These siblings just don't talk. They live their own separate lives. They both find some levels of success, but they're completely separate. It's a dysfunctional family, but I think all too familiar. Lots of families experience this, including even in the Bible. We're going to come back to Jacob and Esau, but I first want to talk about uh, someone you probably didn't expect to hear about this morning, and that is uh, Louie Anderson, uh, the comedian. If you know Louie Anderson, he was born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota. He's a Minnesota guy, has spent his career and life in comedy and movies and TV shows. And uh, I just heard an interview with him this week as I was thinking about imperfect families and how we behave when the camera is turned off And he went into all these details, telling stories of some of the challenges of his life, mainly that his dad was an alcoholic. Uh, He grew up in a family with 11 kids, Louis did, 11 kids in the projects in St. Paul, growing up with an alcoholic dad. He told the story in this interview about how when he was a number of years ago in the 80s doing a stand-up festival. So he was doing stand-up comedy in the middle of the afternoon, he finished his set, he was in a cab driving back to the hotel where he was going to spend the night and on his way back he noticed in this downtown area where the festival was there were just people that were drinking and drunk all over, staggering all over, you know just having fun in the middle of the day at this festival. But it brought him back to his dad and thinking about his dad, who at that time had died about 10 years earlier. And so he gets back to the hotel and he's just thinking about his dad, decides to sit down and write his dad a letter. Even though his dad has died all these years ago, he just starts thinking, you know, I got some things I want to say to my dad. And so he starts writing a letter, and that letter becomes another letter and another letter, and all these letters get compiled and become this book, Dear Dad, Letters from an Adult Child. And in this, he goes through this journey of kind of... Self-discovery and discovery of his dad and what his dad's life was like. He finds some compassion and even forgiveness because what he finds out about his dad is that his dad had lived a really tough life. Some elements of that he understood, but some he had never known. He found out that his dad, uh, there had been a murder in his dad's family when he was just a kid. And so for that reason, his dad got separated from his own siblings and actually kind of shipped off to rural Minnesota to work on a farm. Like, it was a tough, tough upbringing that his dad had. Then he got drafted into World War I and fought in World War I before then finally coming home and discovering that he was a trumpet player and he played trumpet and kind of, you know, too summary now. But then met a gal, settled down, got married. They had 11 kids and a bit of pressure and a dead-end job came along with that. And along the way, he started drinking and he just never stopped. It was a tough life. I mean, it was a tough upbringing. And Louis admits that he's still pretty mad sometimes, but he's found a sense of peace and forgiveness. Uh, he ends this book by telling the story of, in this last letter that he writes to his dad, he tells the story of going to visit his dad's grave at Fort Snelling Cemetery, just not too far from here. He goes to his grave, and he ends this book in this last letter with these words to his dad. He says, Dad... I forgive you. I understand. Oh, yeah. And there's one more thing I haven't said, but want to. And that one thing is this I love you, your son, Louis. It's a reconciliation and forgiveness that came years after Louis' dad had died, but was powerful nonetheless. As people of faith, the Bible tells us, gives us this encouragement for how to live with compassion and in forgiveness. I want to read a few verses here from Colossians chapter 3 because it really gives voice to this goal that we are to aspire to, not just in our families, but in all of our lives. It says, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. We have to forgive not just for the people who have wronged us, but for our very selves. Uh, Louis is the perfect example. If he found this forgiveness for his dad, forgave his dad decades after his dad had died, and yet nonetheless, that was a forgiveness that he, Louis, needed. I'm not naive to think that these issues that come up within families are easy to solve or that this forgiveness is easily won, but it's important. Because God wants our families to be places of safety, of compassion, of forgiveness, and of even joy. And sometimes that takes work. The story of Jacob and Esau actually ends in an interesting way. Uh, If you fast forward in their story, after living uh, years and decades apart, living their own lives and finding their own kind of levels and measures of success, living separately, Jacob has to go home. Uh, Jacob has to return home, and so he does so with some real trepidation because he's really scared that uh, his brother was about to kill him when he left, and maybe he still is thinking that that's a good idea. And so uh, he's scared, and so he sends a messenger ahead to talk to Esau to say, uh, Esau, just a heads up, I, Jacob, your brother, your good, sweet, dear brother, I'm coming home. And so the messengers come back to Jacob. The messengers come back to Jacob. I don't know where the words are up there, but here I'll read them to you. Here's what happens. The messengers return to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Jacob is going to be met by Esau and an army of 400 And so Jacob was so afraid and distressed that he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies, thinking if Esau comes to the one company and destroys it, then the company that is left will escape. Jacob's so worried that he splits his own family in two, thinking that if Esau comes and kills half, at least half of the family and half of what we have will live on. And so he prays, he prays, and he gets there, and Esau runs to him and says, But Esau ran to him and embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. There, too, they find compassion and forgiveness after real serious wrongdoing and uh, time. But it allows for them to find the reconciliation. That doesn't come easy, but it does come. The main point that I started with is my main idea, and it's it's a it's a deep idea, but it's a true one that families can be places of hurt, judgment, and fear, but God wants them to be places of safety, compassion, forgiveness, and joy. Those things don't always come easy, but this is God's wish and God's desire for us. And so if you're in the midst of some kind of family conflict, if there is baggage that is there, pray about it, think about it, and think where might there be room for compassion and forgiveness in the midst of it. Amen. Don't take pain, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.